This year we've been on a series all year long or teaching on faith. And some of you, as you walked in, you like see and you're like, what is heluf? Well, heluf is faith in Dutch. Or what's pananam palataya? That's faith in Filipino. And foi is faith in French. And faith is faith in English. And fe is faith in Spanish. And, and we've, got, we've been talking on faith. And we've been talking on faith because it is imperative that we build our faith. And faith is complete trust in someone or something. And every single one of us, according to scripture, has been given a measure of faith. How many of you know that we've all been given muscles? You're born with them. Now, every week, when my brother Jadon walks in, I see him a little bigger because he's working out and getting ready for competition. And so he's getting bigger and bigger because he's going to the gym and he's working them muscles out. How many of you know I don't go to the gym? You can, you can tell the shirt's big and flabby. And... In the same way, our faith needs to be developed. It's a muscle. We work out our faith. We develop our faith. And there's many believers that have what the scripture describes as underdeveloped faith. Why? Because we're not exercising it. I remember last year when Abigail started running cross country, first cross country practice. She said it. She was like, my heart felt like I was going to pass out. I, I, I was beating so hard and, and it took her, I want to say it took her about 15 minutes, I think she said, to do the half mile. But by the end of the season, she was running the whole 3K in 15 minutes. Why? Because she worked out, she ran, she did it. And as you and I develop our faith, as we're faced with situations and we rely on God and our faith is developed, we're able to continue to believe. But how many of you know that in the same way that we need to develop those muscles, if I go to the gym and work out, but eat 17 McFlurries and double quarter pounders with fries, I ain't going to do much because that will extinguish the work I did. And in the same way that we got to work out our faith, there are things that will extinguish our faith. And that's the series that we just started last week. It's called Faith Extinguishers. Faith Extinguishers. And we defined a faith extinguisher this way, as something that will extinguish or put out our faith. Something that will extinguish or put out our faith. Last week, we spoke about one of these things, and it's unbelief. Unbelief will extinguish, will put out our faith. Unbelief is defined, according to the dictionary, as an absence of faith. You know, like when you take attendance in school, and the person that's not there gets marked absent. Unbelief is marking absent to faith. And today I want to talk about something else that will extinguish our faith, and it's this. It's doubt. Doubt. Doubt extinguishes faith. And some of you may be thinking and looking, it's like, hold on a second. Isn't doubt and unbelief basically the same thing? They're not. Okay, unbelief, again, is defined as the absence of faith. The definition of doubt is not an absence. It is something that is lacking conviction. Is the definition of doubt. Let me give it to you exactly the way it is. A feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. 
all of us deal with doubt. If you were to nudge your neighbor, you could look at him and say, you deal with doubt. And you all can point at me and say, Pastor David, you deal with doubt, and I do. Because doubt is something that the enemy uses to try to get us to extinguish our faith. You think about the court of law, and I'm not an attorney, but I've watched one on TV. And you know that there is the job of one of the attorneys, the prosecutor. His job is to bring the burden of proof that somebody did something. And the defending attorney, his defense attorney, their job is to do what? Plug holes, poke holes in the prosecution. As the same way the prosecutor is trying to plug holes or plug hole, make holes in the defense. And what does the judge tell the jury? You must convict beyond a reasonable doubt. Doubt is normal. It comes to all of us. But if you rely or continue to allow the doubt to fester, it takes root in us and will turn off our faith. Now, it's important that we back this up with the word of God. So let's go to the book of James. By the way, if you are a believer, you should read the book of James. It is like the guidebook, the blueprint for how to live the life of a Christian. As a matter of fact, anybody here ever heard of a program called Alcoholics Anonymous? Do you know that Alcoholics Anonymous actually was started by believers? It was almost named the Book of James Club. You can look in the history of AA. That's what they almost named it. And so the Book of James is actually a blueprint, a manual for us as Christians how to live our lives. And I encourage you to read the Book of James if you haven't. So go to the Book of James, chapter number one. Actually starts in verse 2 saying, hey, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously and to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, here's what I want us to, to look at. Look at verse number 6. This applies to anything that we ask God. It says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One more time. Verse number six. Let him ask in faith, faith with no doubting. What happens when they doubt? They can't receive from the Lord. And verse number eight, he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you're taking notes, write this down this morning. Doubt makes us unstable. Doubt makes us unstable. Doubt makes us unstable. I'm not huge on social media. I don't even remember the last time I posted. I currently don't have it on my phone. But there's a challenge that's gone viral for the last about a year, maybe longer. And it's called the Milk Crate Challenge. Anybody seen the Milk Crate Challenge? 
Some of you are going to Google it later, and you're going to laugh. Don't laugh, but you're going to laugh. See, what's the milk crate challenge? They, there's all these folks, they, they build this ladder of milk crates. Y'all know what a milk crate is, right? the little plastic bins that they put the milks in when they drop them off at Publix or Costco or all the places, right? And they go and they build it. They put one milk crate, two milk crates, three milk crates, four milk crates, five milk crates, four milk crates, three milk crates, two milk crates, one milk crate. It's a ladder. And somebody gets on there and they get on the first one. And they're okay. And they get on the second one and they wobble a little. And the third. And by the time they get to the fourth and they get to the middle and you see this person, like, 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 you're shaking because what happens is those milk crates aren't tied to the ground. They have no weight. They have no girth. They got nothing in it. And they begun to waver. And usually when the person gets right to the pinnacle, to the top, and they try to start stepping down, the thing collapses. And I'm sure there's been a lot of ER visits. It's unstable. And that is what happens with doubt. Doubt makes us unstable. The scripture actually, what did the verse say? It says, he is a double-minded man. Let me give you a picture of what the word double-minded means. When you look it up in the original context, it is a person who is being pulled in two opposing directions. And so what is it that's going on? I wrote it down this way. Doubt pulls in the opposite direction of faith. Doubt pulls in the opposite direction of faith. Faith is pulling one way, doubt is pulling the other. And that's what makes a person double-minded, unstable. It's like a tug-of-war in the mind for faith. And stuff is happening Pulling, right? You've done the tug of war, right? And it's pulling and it's going. And, 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 and who usually wins the tug of war? The ones that have more people, the ones that are stronger. And here's what's happening. Who are we feeding? Are we feeding the doubt or are we feeding the faith? When they're pulling in the opposite direction, what is it that we are doing? I said it a minute ago. We all deal with doubt. There's something I said at the beginning of the series last week, and go back and listen to it if you weren't here, if you haven't heard it. This series is not a series to bring condemnation. But the enemy will try to bring us condemnation. This is what he'll do. Oh, you see, that's why you didn't get what you were believing for, because you had doubt. You suck as a Christian. He plays dirty. This is not a series for condemnation. This is a series for us to look and say, okay, what do I need to do going forward? When doubt comes, how do I fight it? When situations arise, because what is the reality? Stuff is going to happen. We have this notion, this misconception that when we come to Jesus, everything's going to be fine. He said, I come to Jesus and everything's going to be perfect. If I were to pass a microphone around of the seasoned believers in this room, we would talk about things that have happened since we gave our life to Jesus. And the promise wasn't that things would be perfect. The promise was that he would never leave us. The promise was that he would not abandon us. So we need to make sure that we are pulling towards faith and not allowing doubt to pull us the opposite way. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. It pulls in the opposite direction of faith. Another way to describe double-minded man is this, allegiance that is divided. 
allegiance that is divided. What did the verse say? He's like the waves of the sea that are tossed to and fro by the wind. Many of you know that I live on a lake because I talk about it all the time. And I love to have quiet time with God on my paddleboard and my speaker. And I go out there and I worship. And the lake doesn't have a current of itself. The lake moves by the wind. It's actually happened to me where I get out on the lake and I say, hey, I'm smart about this. I'm going to go in the opposite direction of the current when I'm fresh. So if the current is blowing this way, I'm going to go that way. Man, I remember a couple of occasions where I fought the current and got there. And all of a sudden, the winds shifted. And I had to fight current to get back home too. Because the lake was moved by the wind. And what happens when we are moved by the circumstance, it creeps doubt in, it brings it in, and we're moved by it, it makes us unstable. And it makes us double-minded. It tugs and our allegiance is divided. Let me show you another instance. Go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14. I wanted you to go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 I'm going to give you a little thing of what's taking place, right? If you just look at Matthew 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So I, I, I like context. So what had just happened? If you read the previous section, this is when there was 5,000 people plus women and children and Jesus tells the disciples, feed them. And the disciples says, like, how? There's one little kid here that brought a Lunchable, right? Like, that's what they had. They had five pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, that's enough. And the Bible says that they went ahead and he sat everybody down and he blessed it and they gave it out and everyone was satisfied. And there was 12 baskets left over. Now, what does it mean to be satisfied? That means like when you flip the green card at Texas to Brazil to red. No puedo mas. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm done. These guys didn't get a microbite. I thought about it in first service. I don't know if many of you have seen the news that I think it was Coach that just designed a micro purse. Anybody read that on the news? Louis Vuitton, thank you very much. It was Louis Vuitton. They just designed a micro purse. You need to hold it with like these little tweezers and it sold, ready? For $60,000. It's so small I can't even carry air. <laughs> Listen, the 10,000 people, the 5,000 plus, don't look it up now. You can fact check me later, okay? The 5,000 men plus women and children ate till they were satisfied. They didn't get a microbite. And as soon as that was over, and I don't know about you, if I just saw that multiplication miracle, my faith would be stirred. And as soon as that happened, Jesus says, hey, guys, get on the boat. Go to the other side. I'm going to tell everybody bye. Okay? So the disciples go and says that Jesus he dismissed the crowds. Verse 23, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. There's a whole teaching there, but he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he 
he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Time out. Who told the disciples to get on the boat? With a little more confidence. Who told the disciples to get on the boat? Jesus. If you're online, put it in the comment box. Jesus. And the disciples got on the boat, obeying who? Jesus. And what did the disciples face in the middle of the lake? A storm. Put your seatbelt on. Just because you're obeying Jesus doesn't mean storms won't arise. Jesus told the disciples, get in the boat while I go pray. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. You know what the Bible says that Jesus makes intercession for us? I can imagine even Jesus on the mountain praying for his disciples. God, I know they're on the boat. Father, I know they're on the boat. I send them on the boat. And their faith is being tested. Their faith is being tried, but I'm making intercession for them. And then look what the Bible says. It actually says that, that, that they're there being beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. That's pretty cool, watching Jesus walk on water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said it's a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately jesus said to them take heart it's i do not be afraid and look at peter peter answered him lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water now catch this for a second Peter was not given an invitation to walk on water. Peter asked as a confirmation that it was truly Jesus to walk on water. It was his prayer request. Sometimes we think that Jesus was like, yo, Peter, come on, let's check this out. Come try it. No, 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 no. Peter must have had doubt. Okay, it might be a ghost. It's not a ghost. I don't know if it's a ghost. Jesus, if it's you, if, it, if it's you. Tell me to come too. And Jesus was so eloquent. Look at what Jesus says. Watch. Come. One word. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Can I be honest? Can I be vulnerable? Can I be transparent? I wrestled with that verse for a long time of my Christian life. How could Jesus tell Peter, Oh, you of little faith, like, I've never walked on water. Have any of you walked? Anybody, raise your hand if you've walked on water. Yeah, n me neither. It don't count if you step on a puddle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they were in the ocean they were in, or the sea. Jesus says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, 
Listen, if Peter had little faith and walked on water, I'm stuck. I got no chance. This is why it's important for us to study. Little faith wasn't a quantity of faith. It actually is defined as a wavering faith. This is what Jesus was asking Peter. Why is your faith wavering? Because of doubt. What did he say to him? Why did you doubt? James describes doubt as the being tossed to and fro, being pulled in the opposite direction. The moment that Peter was pulled in the opposite direction, he began to sink because doubt came in. And this is the way I wrote it down. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Doubt causes our faith to waver. Doubt causes our faith to waver. It tugs in the opposite direction. It's tugging in the opposite direction. Faith makes us unstable. I'm sorry, doubt makes us unstable. Doubt will cause us to waver. Watch, go with me to Mark. Go to Mark chapter 11. Go to Mark chapter 11. After the triumphal entry, everybody sings Hosanna, puts their things on the floor for Jesus to walk on top of. Jesus is hungry. It says in verse 12, he was hungry. He saw a fig tree at a distance. He went up to it. It had no fruit, so he cursed it. Then he cleanses the temple the next morning. And in verse 20, it says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots overnight. And Peter, same guy that walked on water, okay, Peter, he remembers and says to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. He's like, wow. And Jesus answers him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Go back again. Look what it says. Whoever says to this mountain, in verse 23, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt. Got to read the rest of it. In his heart. Watch. Doubt. We'll keep our mountains in place. Doubt will keep our mountains in place. But I need us to understand something. It's doubt that goes from the mind and takes root in the heart. Jesus didn't just say, if you pray and doubt comes, you're stuck. Because we all deal with doubt. You deal with doubt, 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 you deal with doubt. I deal with doubt. We all deal with doubt. But when the doubt comes, do I feed it? And let it transfer from head all the way down into my heart where it extinguishes my faith. 
And that's where many believers are. We're at a place where we no longer believe for things or have faith because there's so much doubt that has creeped in and taken root in the heart. So I ask this question then, how do we overcome doubt? Like it's a constant fight. Y'all can say it again. Pastor, you deal with doubt. I deal with it. How do we overcome it? Let me give you three things scripturally overcome doubt. Three things. Number one, let's go back to Peter. Think back. I just read the story. You got it fresh in your minds, right? It says that Peter was walking on water, and when he looked at the waves or at the wind, that's when he began to sink. Number one, how do you overcome doubt? We put our eyes back on Jesus. Put our eyes on Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of believers that are not walking even with God today because their eyes were not on Jesus. They were on man. I've failed people in my time. I've not met people's expectations. And if the eyes were on me, it's going to be easy to waver and falter. Eyes can't be on me. Your eyes can't be on your spouse as your savior. Your, spouse, your eyes can't be on your kids as your savior, on your boss, on the stock market. Eyes have to be on Jesus. And when doubt comes, it causes us to take our eyes off of Jesus and look at circumstance, look at situation. So number one, overcoming doubt by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Here's number two. We overcome doubt by calling to Jesus. We overcome doubt by calling to Jesus. It's two separate things. Watch it. While he was eyes fixed on Jesus, he was walking on water. What did Peter do the moment that he started to sink? Lord, save me. I have to believe that Peter knew how to swim. The guy was a fisherman. He wasn't a fisherman que cogía yo-yo y se paraba en el puente de vez en cuando, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, he wasn't a fisherman that once in a while got and went on fishing. The guy did it for a living on a boat. And there's another verse that says that Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. So he knew how to swim. And do you notice that when he began sinking, he didn't rely on self to swim back to the boat? What did he do? He immediately cried out to Jesus again. Shame will try to get you. Just swim back to the boat. Forget the boat. Swim to shore. But he cried out to Jesus. Listen, if you're in that place today, if you're ever in a place where doubt starts to creep in and you start to sink, this is what we need to do. Jesus, save me. And what did Jesus do? It says that Jesus immediately grabbed him by the hand. And yes, Jesus told him, why did you waver? Why did you doubt? But Jesus picked him up, and it says that they walked back to the boat. Peter walked on water twice. Jesus didn't drag Peter to the boat, and he didn't end the storm right away. It actually says, if you go back, I just want to read it. I want to make sure you understand it. It's not me. It's the word of God. This is what it says. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus grabbed Peter. And went back to the boat. I don't think Jesus jumped into the water. Hey, I'm going to get in the water with you. <laughs> nah, Jesus picked the guy up. And they walked back to the boat. And they got in the boat. So you and I have moments where doubt starts to creep in and we start to sink. And we say, Jesus, 
and he grabs us and he says, hey, let's work on that doubting stuff. And he takes us back into the boat and he ends the storm. Here's number three. Are you ready? Number one was that we keep our eyes on Jesus. Number two was that we call out to him. Here's number three. To overcome doubt, we remember what God has done. Anybody here ever heard of this guy by the name, little, little known Bible character, right? John the Baptist? Okay. If you ever read on John the Baptist, the dude was raw. Like, this is a guy who was living out in the wilderness, okay? Living off a of locust and honey like Elijah. This is a guy that would stand up by himself in front of all the Pharisees and be like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, this guy was... People think, oh, prophets. No, prophets were prophets. And John the Baptist, he always, when he talked about repentance, he always said, this is one of the things he said, I'm not the guy. There's somebody coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his sneakers. He says, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal straps. John the Baptist is there baptizing people in the Jordan River, and Jesus walks in, and John sees him from a distance and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the guy I'm talking about. Here he comes. He looks at Jesus and says, I, I, I can't baptize you. I mean, you got to baptize me. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you, you, you. And, and John baptizes Jesus. The heavens are open. A palm, a, a palm, a dove descends from heaven. And a voice shudders from the sky that says, this is my son in whom I will please. Y'all know the story of John the Baptist? Yes. And what happened when John the Baptist was arrested and was imprisoned for a while? He started to doubt. John the Baptist. Oh, the Bible doesn't say that he doubted. Watch. Read the Bible. What did John the Baptist, I, heard, I just gave you everything he had done and said, right? He's been in prison for a while, and he sends his disciples, and he says, go to Jesus and ask him if he's the one or if we're supposed to wait for another one. Bro, if that's not doubt, I don't know what is. Like, he already declared, this is the son of God. This is the guy. I'm not worthy to tie his sandal. But I behold, like, he, and now he's like, is it you? Do I wait for another one? Watch, watch. You know what's part of the thing that brought doubt? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Part of the thing that brought doubt is his expectation. His expectation wasn't to be in jail. His expectation was to be free and have a kingdom already coming to earth, right? That was the expectation of all the Jews waiting for the Messiah. It's why a lot of Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because they thought he was going to come in war on a horse and knocking people's heads off and causing people to roll and take authority in a natural kingdom. Expectation wasn't met. Jesus doesn't send him an email back or a reply back that says, yes, it's me. You know what Jesus says? You read in the Bible. Go tell John, the mute speak, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead come back to life again. Exactly what was prophesied in the book of Isaiah would happen through the Messiah. This is what Jesus sent back to John. To eliminate your doubt, look at everything that's happened. And so when doubt comes, how do we avoid it creeping and coming to our heart? Hold on a second. God, you did this in my life already. 
Wait, wait, God, I, I, I saw you do this once. Well, hold on. God, I, I remember hearing the testimony that, that Eddie shared, or I remember hearing the testimony that Christina shared. I, I remember hearing that testimony. And if you did it for them, I know you'll do it for me because I'm also your child. See, you understand this. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you become a child of God. And a child has a certain authority that not everybody else has. Watch, 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 watch. If you didn't know, the second door in the hallway is my office. And when I'm sitting in my office, if any of you want to go to my office, while I'm sitting in my office, everybody does something. It's a natural thing you do. What is it? You knock. You know who doesn't need to knock? Abigail, Alexandra, and Samantha. They got access. As a matter of fact, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you've been in meeting with me in my office and my daughter's just walked in, it's happened. I don't get mad at them. I might look and say, give me a minute, mama. Or, I'm, sorry, do you need something? Oh, yeah, okay, go. You can go. Give me a few minutes. They have an authority because they're my kid. And you've got an authority because you're God's kid when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And as the kid of God, the child of God, you can believe. As a child of God. I remember when my dad owned the business and he had a client that needed something and he would call or he would send an employee to call. Sometimes the employees got the runaround from the other person. But if I called and I said, hey, this is David, this is Eddie's son, things changed. Yeah. <laughs> That's my dad. You know, my dad tells me sometimes, he's like, and my dad will come up to me, he's like, hey, you're my pastor, but don't forget, I outrank you as your father. <laughs> Sometimes he'll come and he's like, I don't need to talk to my pastor right now. I got to talk to my son. Oh, yes, sir. All right. As a child, there is an authority that others don't have. And what does the enemy want you to do? Doubt the authority that's already been given to you. Doubt who you are. As a matter of fact, the enemy knows so well that testimonies stir other people's faith, that he tries to shame us into not sharing testimonies. I don't know if you've ever been there. I mean, you might, might have more faith than me, but I've felt bad at times where I'm going to share something that God did in my life. I was like, what are people going to think? Like, how am I going to share that, that this happened and I prayed and God delivered? Like, it's not even a big significant thing. Like, this, this is an item that was lost and we prayed and God, you delivered and people are praying for cancer. How am I going to share this? Well, here's the reality. If God cares about us finding a diamond in a parking lot that was lost five or six hours beforehand, and the Lord told us where it was, and we drove there and found it, you don't think he cares about you praying for the healing of your cancer, for the restoration of your marriage, for the restoration of your children? So what does the enemy want us to do? Well, don't share that. What are people going to think? That you're God's favorite? Yes, I am. And because you're his son, you are too. So pray. Believe again. And tell doubt. How about no? Don't let it go down and take root. What do we need to do? We renew our mind. We stand on the word. We talked about it last week. Overcoming unbelief by standing on the word. We've got to remember what God has done. And you remember what he did. Worship team, come to the altar. You remember what he did. When you say, God, you did it once, you'll do it again. God, you saw me through this situation. Hold on, hold on. I, I, I've been here before. 
I've been in the bottom of the ninth, down by one, with two outs and two strikes, and still won the game. Because God went up to bat for me. And again, God will do it in your life, and he'll do it in my life. But we've got to fight the doubts. He's going to try to get us not to believe. He's going to try to get us to doubt. And again, this is not a message about condemnation. This is a message for us to learn how the enemy operates and how to fight him. When again, he tries to bring doubt. Remember this guy, Peter? Peter? Watch, listen to, look at the timeline of Peter's life. Fishing all night long. Fisherman by trade. Catches nothing. Jesus says, throw the net on the other side. Peter says, man, I've been doing this all night long and I do this for a living, but at your word. And he throws the net. Biggest catch. Brings it in. Jesus says, from now on, Peter, you won't be a fisherman, but you will be a fisher of men. What a salvation story. Peter's the one that walked on water. Doubted. Jesus picked him right back up. Peter's the one that when Jesus says, who do men say that I am? At one moment, he says, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, man has not revealed this to you. And upon this, I will build my church. And then Peter's the one that denies Jesus. Not once, not twice. Three strikes, Three times he denied Jesus. Start playing again. And you know what Peter thought? Peter thought, I'm never going to be worthy again. Again, read your Bible. When Jesus dies, three days after, and he's at the resurrection, Peter had actually told the disciples, hey, I'm going to go fish again. And his buddy said, you're not going alone. I'm going with you. And there's a lesson there. When you see someone slipping away, chase them. Tell him how much Jesus loves him. So he goes back out to fish, and Jesus shows up on the shoreline and says, Hey, y'all catch anything? They say, No. He says, Cast it on the other side. And they get a huge catch, by the way. It says this time the net didn't break. This is where Peter puts his coat on and he jumps into the water and swims to shore. And Jesus is already there with a fish cooked and ready to eat. Wow. So perhaps today you walked in and you said, I'm on a doubt level 10. That's it. I'm no longer worthy. I can't believe again. I've doubted too much. God says, no, 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 no. Just call on me again. No, no, I got the fish ready for you. You are Peter. You're my son. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go to it again. And so you may have walked in this morning further away from God than you had ever been in your life. But Jesus says, I'll make a way again. Come on. Get up. Get out of the boat and fish again. Let's believe. I want us to stand to our feet. And then we're going to have a moment of personal time with God. This is just you and God. Because there's some in this room, and I see it clearly in the spiritual realm. There's some in this room that have had like this cloud of doubt, uh, this cloud of uncertainty, this cloud of, uh, 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 of cynical mindset, of, uh, uh, of this isn't real, of, uh, I've gone through too much. God can't use me again. I'm just too far. But today, Jesus is here, and he says to you, just call on my name again. 
Remember what I've done. Remember how I saw you through those nights. Remember how I held your hand. Remember how you walked on water with me. Remember and believe again. And all it takes is to say, yes, here I am. So as the team just begins to worship, just you and God, right there, can you tell them, God, I believe again. Remove doubt. God, I remember. I remember what you've done. And I choose to believe again. In Jesus' name.